Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM, the podcast dedicated to travel risk management. My name is Travel Risk Bex, also known as Bex Deadman. I really need to get that the way round that it should be, don't I? Because I'm actually Bex Deadman, also known as Travel Risk Bex, but it's becoming more Travel Risk Bex now because of these amazing podcasts and our great listeners. So thank you for tuning in. Um, as always, I'm joined by a friend, but again, this is a this is one of those, I'm so delighted to call her my friend now, um, but she's been someone who I have admired and looked up to for, well, we just talked about how long she's been running her business for, so I know now <laughs> um, how long it's been, um, but she is an absolute star in this area of looking after people and considering people and what happens to them when they're traveling. Um, way before this was something that we all now sort of are beginning to talk about because of the new standard, trying to get into organisations and trying to get them to think about this stuff. Um, and she's an absolute pioneer. So I am, I'm a little bit in awe. <laughs> um, she knows this, uh, but she's also just an incredible human and down to earth and takes the fact that I can, I, I'm a bit in awe when I talk to her. So without anything else from me, I'm going to ask my guest today. Who are you and what do you do? Thank you, Bex. Before I start, I just want to say thank you for that lovely introduction and the feeling is completely mutual and I'm delighted that we've now got the opportunity to collaborate at long last. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm Carolyn Pearson. I'm probably best known um, for being the founder and chief drum beater um, at Maiden Voyage, um, specialising in inclusive travel safety, but of course, not just one dimensional. Um, my background actually is technology, and I headed up technology teams for companies like BBC, ITV, EasyJet, and KLM. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how Maiden Voyage came about at one of those organisations uh, years ago. But I'm also a lifelong learner. I'm always learning something, always on a course for something or other. Um, I'm a Francophile. I love anything French. So I particularly enjoyed the episode with Alexandra Hoffman yesterday. Um, I'm a holistic health fanatic, I would say. Um, and... Probably um, one of my better kept secrets is that I'm also an occasional stand-up comedian as well. I did not know that. And <laughs> now, now I want to make this funny. Excellent. I like it. <laughs> you can see why she's amazing and why I love her, right? Just from that little introduction. So um, how do you want, do you want to talk to us about Maiden Voyage or do you want to sort of to dive in a bit more about kind of how it all came about? Yeah, let me let me talk about how it came about. But before we, we jump into that, I guess I'll I'll share, as I know some of your guests have, um, a personal story about a travel disaster. Um, not a business travel trip, but I think it, it, it adds a bit of context and a bit of colour, I guess, into why I'm you know passionate about this area. But years ago, I was in my twenties and I was doing a, a gap year in Australia. And I travelled with a family, family friends, a man, wife and their son. 
Uh, we did a month-long um, four-wheel drive trip across the desert from Sydney um, in the middle of nowhere, Okarula, Broken Hill, um, Coober PD. Um, and it was at the time when you could climb Ayers Rock. And um, and the husband and I climbed Ayers Rock one day. Um, you know, we'd been sort of sleeping, camping in the desert. Just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, and one that I'll never forget. <laughs> and then, well, particularly not now. So on the day that we came down from Ayers Rock, I noticed a bit of tension between the husband and the wife. And they were both a bit prickly with each other. And I didn't really think much of it. You know, we had all been cooped up, you know, in a in a camping scenario for a month. And the plan was to go to Kings Canyon and then head up to Alice Springs. But as we got onto the Stuart Highway in the, you know, right in the middle of Australia, this was December, so we were at 40 degrees C. Um, the husband and the wife, the tension started to escalate and he told the wife to get out of the car. Um, so I joined, you know, female solidarity. I literally got a handbag and a bottle of water um, and the son got out as well. Uh, what we weren't expecting is that the husband actually drove off and left us. Um, and we were literally there um, in the desert by ourselves, two women in shorts, handbags, bottles of water, um, completely left. And, um, you know, the dangers out there, it's where people disappear, they never get found again. You know, there's a risk of, you know, extreme heat exhaustion. God knows what else. It's a place where um, sort of Peter Falconio went missing a number of years ago. And eventually... I'm literally just like going, oh my God, because I'm being really quiet because I'm on mute, but I'm literally going, ah, carry on, Carolyn, please. Yeah, so a guy came past eventually in a ute um, and he got, you know, a couple of cattle dogs on the back. He'd got a gun um, and he offered us... Well, he asked us what we were doing there for starters and then said, um, well, I can drop you in Alice Springs. And um, we had no choice. Um, so we got in the we got in this ute, and um, it was really quite spooky. And we didn't know, you know, if he was a bad man or if he was a good citizen. But he kept pulling off into the bush to say um, he needed to put more oil in his engine, and he kept putting up the bonnet. And we just sat there in silence, terrified, not knowing if we we're going to live or die. Um, in the front of this this car. I can't remember how long the journey was, definitely a few hours anyway. Um, and then we got to Alice Springs and the wife, um, who was actually terrified of flying, um, she flew back to Sydney the next day with her son. And I was left stranded in Alice Springs with very, very little money. And I had to stay there and work in a backpacker's lodge um, to earn some money to get out and the local police um, knew that I was there. They looked after me. They invited me to the police station for Christmas Day. We played cricket, had a barbecue. Um, and eventually I got away and I ended up on the Gold Coast. And then I, I continued my gap year. Um, so, you know, I, I look back at, at that trip and think, you know, wow, it was it was one of the most incredible trips. It was definitely an adventure. Um, they patched up the marriage and, and they're still fine. They're still together. That's Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I will go back to Australia at some point and we'll meet them, you know, for a beer and, and a laugh. But yeah, that was that was quite a life changing experience. Oh, my goodness. Carolyn, I had absolutely no idea. I mean, that's just nuts. Um, I, can't, I could imagine just standing there as he just drove off and the dust just like disappearing. I can't believe he drove off. Well, was he, 
Was he worried afterwards? Because they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been able to contact each other. Was there sort of did he have a guilt thing for doing that when you talked about it? Yeah, later? I'm sure he did. And of course, yeah, pre mobile phones, pre travel yeah. safety training. You know, I wouldn't have got out of the car with just a handbag and a, <laughs> a bottle of water. Don't even I can't. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. I was. I know exactly the. I know exactly the region. Um, when I went out there, you were allowed to climb up, but we decided to go round it. Um, and I got massively, massively dehydrated without realizing. Um, because I was drinking water all the time. I didn't know about the salts, and when it's that hot, you know, you're just flushing the salts out of your body all the time. So we flew from Alice Springs to Cairns, and I was just hospitalized. Well, I was in bed for three days, not being able to move. The doctors thought I had an appendicitis. And then when wow. I finally got into the hospital, they put me on a drip for four days. And it was just, I mean, dehydration is insane, isn't it? What it can actually do and, and how much it feels. So I get the heat completely from that side. But there's all of that other stuff as well. So this, this is your, this is your why, right? This is what drove you. Well, it was a seed. It was a seed. And I think what, what really started Maiden Voyage was um, I was working ITV at the time and um, absolute travel junkie. You know, I love to, to travel solo. I'd been to California as a backpacker years earlier and I, I had to go to LA on, on a business trip. And when I got there, you know, I'd, I'd gone the weekend before so that I could, you know, have a cosmopolitan weekend in Santa Monica and I could get an outfit for the Emmerdale party and just, you know, hang out in L.A. But the reality was really different. You know, I was staying in a downtown hotel, didn't really know how to get about, you know, different when you're a backpacker because you've got a whole community to hang out with. Um, and I just thought this is so boring. It's so lonely. You know, there was not hardly anybody in the hotel over the weekend. And by the time my colleagues arrived on the Monday, we went out for dinner and I said, I've come up with this idea. We need to have a network to connect women business travelers. And um, it was really, you know, pre, you know, Facebook getting big. You know, this is like 17, 18 years ago. I came up with this idea. And uh, one of the guys said, oh, you should do it. And then, you know what it's like, once you've said you're going to do something, I've got this thing that I, I need to do it. And so then I had to do it. And, um, you know, Maiden Voyager was a network to connect women business travelers. We shared advice. We had a community talking about hotels and, and places to stay, what women want. Um, it was featured on CNN, Forbes, New York Times, way before its time. Um, but of course, it was it was a side hustle. It was never meant to be a business. And then um, I was asked to speak at the, uh, one of the duty of care conferences pretty soon after. And the lineup was somebody talking about Al Qaeda. There was somebody talking about um, what was it? Um, disease in, in Africa, you know, Ebola. We've got a nurse, you know, uh, or a chief medical nurse, actually, or doctor from International SOS talking about Ebola. We've got someone talking about kidnap. And then there was me about to pitch up, talk about, you know, push button hair dryers. So I knew that wasn't going to cut it. Um, so I did a piece of research, presented that at the conference. And that was a pivotal moment whereby, um, you know, some of the chief security officers of Canary Wharf said, you know, we've not got this stuff nailed at all. You know, we, yeah. we patronise women, you know, we get our heads bitten off because we give the wrong advice. Would you yeah. come in and talk to our women travellers? And, you know, Maiden Voyages pivoted and, 
bent and shifted over the years and, and now we've landed where we are in terms of education with a real focus on inclusivity you know whether that's women lgbtq race ethnicity disability neurodiversity nervous travelers menopausal travelers um you know we've got we've got all of those different people covered. So everybody right people everybody yeah including white men <laughs> yes i know good because you know we are thinking about you guys too we really are there's there's the whole mental health piece isn't there with that and the stress and there's a huge amount of well-being and looking after ourselves and it's not just us women that that do that obviously and and I I just I love hearing this story of how it's developed I've obviously watched you develop and um I remember having some interesting conversations um a few years ago when I wanted to bring you in and the person I was working for was a bit, um, she was just a, just didn't want to to talk about women being treated differently to men because I think she felt that actually women could do everything men could do, which is absolutely right. That's not where we were trying to come from it. It was more just to understand that there's just different things to consider from a security perspective. Um, So we never quite got to do that. But I do find that really an interesting piece because I do think that there's some, uh, women who have fought to get to where they've got in a man's world and don't want to be seen as perhaps vulnerable. Whereas the real reality is we're all vulnerable. It's not a female thing. We're all vulnerable at different times, right? So you could be um, you could be male, you could be female, you could be LGBTQI, you could be um, having a mental health breakdown at exactly that point when you're traveling, but you don't know. There's just so many other things. You could be ill and that can affect anybody, right? So how, um, how are you, how do you find the, how people are sort of taking this on now, as opposed to maybe how they were when you first started, what sort of evolved for you as far as how it's being received, I guess? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really surprised actually. I did, a, I did a, an interview with Skift a few weeks ago, and they, that we did some research. You know, I think 2016, 2017, and they wanted to see how things had changed, specifically for women travellers. Um, and actually, I think some things have gone backwards. You know, we're still, mm-hmm. we're still reading about a woman who's been raped in a hotel. Know. You know. You know, some pretty extreme examples, but I was doing some training a few weeks ago and, and we trained over 120 people, um, you know, over a, a few days. And this this was specifically the client wanted women traveler safety, which I thought would die a death and it would be more about, you know, the other the inclusivity pieces that we do. But they had a specific challenge. Um, and the number of women who said that they had compromised their personal safety out of politeness um, was off the scale. They had accepted invitations. They had done something which was against their values. They had not reported a boss who was inappropriate on a business trip because they felt that it might have an impact on their careers, opportunities within their organization, or they just didn't want to be impolite. And that doesn't go with this rhetoric of powerful, fiery women that we kind of think we are, that we've evolved into now, that we can sort of stand up for ourselves at all, does it? But I think I'm so glad that you talked about this because I see this too. We see this kind of rise in patriarchy still. This kind of there's there's definitely issues happening. You know, there's there's big groups that detest women. <laughs> they literally detest women. Yeah, you know, so. but those yeah, online. 
but it's the it, there's this there is this I I just I've said this to other guests before when I was younger I just thought the world would evolve with me you know as you get older the world evolves and it I say the same thing when we talk about sustainability. It feels like we've gone backwards. We were talking about, you know, rainforest when I was 15 and now we've just gone ahead and destroyed it. So if we knew about it then, how have we got to here? Yeah. And it feels exactly the same with this. You can talk about, you know, some of the laws in the US taking away female rights in certain places. And I mean, what, what are we saying? That that's okay? <laughs> it's just so I... I completely hear you. What I find interesting, though, is that the companies are, in some cases, recognising this. Do you find, because I do with risk management, um, with travel risk management, that there tends to have, have there tends to have been some sort of incident in order for them to do that, or do you think it's just a bit more of an open mindness now? Well, really interesting. Again, we we you know we might be having a long conversation with an organisation. I I'll give you a real example where. I, we've been speaking to a company for a couple of years and they called me and said they'd had a serious incident, sexual assault in a well-known airport um, in the departure lounge, um, but they still chose not to do something. Um, they, they, Yeah, they didn't. Um, likewise, what I often find is that forward-thinking organisations do this without there having been an incident However, when we're doing the training, we get disclosure. So, you know, pretty much on every course that we do, there'll be somebody who discloses something whereby they've not had the support, they've got PTSD or, you know, a trauma response to something that happened on a business trip. Or um, it was something that happened at the previous company that the previous company never knew about. They'd never reported it. And they've been carrying this and they've been nervous about about going on a business trip. Um, so that tends to come out. We've had situations where somebody's disclosed something in an exit interview years after the incident. Um, so it's rare that people get us in because there's an incident. One of the things that we also do, depending on the culture and the appetite of the client and who we're training, if we're training the directorship and leadership, what we might do is get some of their employees to share anonymous examples of things that have happened to them on a business trip. Um, and actually what we see there is the, I mean, the eyebrows of the, the, the directors like raising off the top of their head. They're like, how do I not know that this is happening within my organization? We need to change this immediately. It's so difficult though, isn't it? And I, oh, I, I, I it shocks me, but at the same time, I'm just not surprised to hear some of this stuff because if you sort of just it's this sort of behavioral issue that we're having an issue kind of dealing with as companies aren't we so we're sort of going out with one message not necessarily I don't mean our companies we're talking big corporate here um going out with sort of one message but not actually really having any idea as to who your kind of employees are and how that affects them and how actually what they do can have an effect and it's just kind of, it becomes sort of a numbers game, doesn't it? I've spoken to clients and one of the things that I do is I look at the crime rates in their area just to give them an idea of, you know, what they're up against. And obviously when you're talking about risk management or travel risk management in the UK, most companies are, yeah, yeah you know, it's the UK, we're fine. Uh, not necessarily thinking about road traffic accidents, not necessarily thinking about this, but one of the absolute 
literally in every single area, top three every time, sexual assault. And, the, and, and if I'm dealing with a company who's got a lot of employees, I'm like, it's just a numbers game, guys. There is a chance, statistically, that that's going to happen to one of your employees. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily by one of your employees, let's hope not, um, but certainly on their way to work, using the underground. Mm-hmm. You know, London is a huge city. Um, and the other part of it is how responsible are we then when we're, as companies, buying our staff with alcohol at parties and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. We don't think about any of that stuff, perhaps from a security perspective, do we? But I still find, and I think this 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 inability to not to be able to disclose or to hold it to ourselves, it's just so damaging to the person that it happens to. I speak with total heart because I know, you know, I think, I think most... I, I, I don't want to make this a man, male, female thing, but I think when it comes to this conversation, it does happen to men. Obviously, it does. But I think that most women can say that they've had something happen. Not necessarily like full sexual assault. I don't mean that. But they've been in a situation where they've not felt comfortable um, or they've got along with something because they felt it was the right thing to do. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, again, all the way through to the final act, but it's just been put in situations. And we just don't think about it or talk about it enough. Not sure where to start with implementing a standard such as ISO 31030? A gap analysis exercise from Ascent Risk Management is the best place to start. Our expert consultants will take you step by step through your chosen standard and highlight any weak areas. This can be conducted remotely and the results of the gap analysis can form the plan for your targeted project. Contact Ascent today at www.ascent1, which is A-S-S-E-N-T-1.com and booking your gap analysis today. And our male colleagues are always so shocked, but it's like, but, but there's some there's some of you in here doing this, you know, so it's not, why are we so shocked? You sort of see this. There's been some great adverts around it, hasn't there, on TV around sort of watch out for your friends and make sure that you're not friends with people who are sort of doing this to women. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I find it just terrifying that it goes on. And I don't, I don't know what we do about it. I don't know how we change that. So what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Carolyn, big one. No. Well, this, um, this actually, that's a really good point that you made because what is really promising is that we are seeing an increase in requirements from companies to not only do personal safety training, so really hardcore self-defense, but also active bystander and allyship. Um, whereby wow. we will train people, you know, on how to support colleagues. We did we did a project in New York um, shortly after lockdown where there was a real anti-Asian sentiment um, because, you know, because of COVID and it was from a financial services organisation and, and people were, you know, nervous about going back on the metro and going back to, to work. And so we, you know, we, we had a, a whole team. It was a ultra hybrid uh, session that we did with in-person, off, you know, online, self-defence, you know, all kinds of stuff um, right. to really teach people, you know, how to support people. Um, and a point you made earlier, you know, about sexual assault on public transport. The, a few years ago, there was a woman who was raped on the metro, the, the Paris metro, um, and other people in the carriage saw the attack. 
and they didn't intervene. Um, and quite often people don't intervene because they think they're going to get harmed in some way. But there are so many different techniques, tactics, things that you can do, you know, to, to stop that. Um, and actually, the French authorities are now looking to prosecute those people who sold that attack. Um, so there is not only, you know, a, a moral obligation as a human to do that, but also actually, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a, a requirement, I don't know if it's a legal requirement, but same thing. There was a lady um, sexually assaulted on the tube in London um, not that long ago. And again, there were people in the carriage that, that, um, that saw that take place. I mean, I don't think I could stop myself from doing something. But what I would like is to have training to know how to do it properly because your kind of gut reaction would be to kind of just jump on in there, <laughs> yeah. which is yeah. obviously going to help anybody or the situation. Um, it amazes me that I'm guessing that was men and women in the carriage. It was, you know, both, either. And it just, wow, it just sort of sends shivers down your spine, doesn't it? That, yeah. And I think this is the, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, but you also made the point earlier that, you know, it happens to men too. Um, mm. You know, and I've certainly coached and, you know, provided psychological support to men who have encountered that. Um, and I think what's worse for them is that um, they feel like it shouldn't have happened to them. You know, particularly if it's somebody who works in our industry, you know, how could they be caught out, you know, whether it's a drink spiking incident or or whatever it might be, you know, the psychological impact um, is just as great, you know, uh, and, it, and it's very, very individual, you know, in terms of how it oh, impacts people. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's a whole other reason that comes in for, for men that you can imagine, you know, I'm not manly enough. I'm not this. I couldn't protect myself. It's all horrible, horrible thoughts coming into your head that you just, oh, and it's not you, is it? It's the perpetrator. <laughs> this is the thing again and again. And it's, but we don't, as, it's just really difficult to to kind of get into that mindset when this sort of stuff has happened to you. So yeah, very close to my heart, all of this stuff. I was going to say, particularly in a country where you're not going to be supported by the legal system, you know, um, in you know, where you've got corruption. We had somebody the other week who'd been sexually assaulted in India, and the police wanted because the equivalent of a thousand pounds before they would even investigate the crime. And it was like, well, you're a woman, you've been out by yourself at night, you know. So you know that the, the what did you expect? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you've got, and this is where we really need to think about this with our female and well, all travellers, all travellers, yeah. giving them the opportunity to well, give, making, ensuring that we're informing them, ensuring, informing that we're training, ensuring that we're training them to be proactive in these situations and to kind of learn how to avoid these situations. No one's saying don't go out. No one's saying don't enjoy yourself because that's life and that is also part of a business trip right that is an amazing side to business trips it's it's exciting it's fun we all want to do them when they come up or at least the idea they're not always as great as and exciting as we think they're going to be um but we um but we have to stay safe when we're doing it and if we're self-aware that's I mean I said I've said this before you know yes the company is responsible yes the company needs to do things but we also need to take responsibility for ourselves as well um, and ensure that we're doing the training and we're, you know, taking stuff on board and learning. And and at the moment, most travellers are having to do that because they're not necessarily being provided all of this stuff by their corporations. So they're finding out what they can. Yeah. And actually, you know, everybody's sort of tooled up on post-incident, you know, recovery. But actually, 
let's mitigate those incidents you know simple training simple you know risk assessments open questions there's lots of things that we can do to to tool people up mentally and psychologically before a trip you know so that they do start to prioritize their personal safety and they're not just thinking about how many meetings they can cram into a trip you know it's actually how much time you're willing to invest as an, as an individual to to care you know to care for your own personal safety but also as a company if there is an incident accident there's going to be an investigation and if it's proven that you've not provided you know adequate training or support for trainers then you are culpable a hundred percent straight back under that duty of care banner that we seem to forget is a legal requirement <laughs> like <laughs> it, it is um and so much better to invest early because actually if you are caught and you are in and you are in court and you are seen to be negligent the the um the the expense on that we're talking millions depending on the situation so a few as I always say there's a few thousand up front literally to get this sorted versus that and become a responsible company be a company that cares for their employees like that's what everyone's saying they're crying out for every recruitment kind of thing that you look at is all about this so companies this, this is how you do it this is how you start proving this stuff and you start building it into your into your programs so I think Oh, I've just loved, I can't believe that story still in Australia. It's putting little shivers down my spine. Um, I also love how it all came about. And I just think the way it's grown and what it's got to has been amazing. As we draw to a close, are there some golden nuggets that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, so a bit of a problem solver nugget. I mean, most people come to Maiden Voyage and they say, right, we want to update our travel policy to make it more inclusive. Um, and that actually, I'm I'm diametrically opposed to that because the minute that you try to put clauses in for women or LGBTQ or neurodivergent employees, you're going to miss somebody out. Yep. But also the laws and regulations change over time. So you know, 70 plus countries still criminalise you know being LGBTQ. So why would you do that? That there'll be something else next year. You know that is becomes a protected characteristic. So actually, um, I think there's nothing better than asking travellers in an open way what they need. If we look at disability, for example, one in six of us will have a disability at some point during our life. And that might be permanent, it might be temporary, it might be a, you know, a hidden chronic illness. It could be something that means that I've got additional needs. But if you, if you ask me to tick a box, am I disabled? very close question, I might not give you the information that I need to keep me safe and well when I travel. So actually, you know, some golden questions are, do you feel safe and comfortable taking this trip? What more can we do? Or what more do you need to feel safe, comfortable and well during this trip? Rather than, are you pregnant? You know, are you LGBTQ? Are you disabled? Whatever it might be. Um, And actually, applying the resources or signposting or doing the training or whatever you do to get the information in front of your travelers and then i guess my second nugget is always adopt a never about us without us approach which is that if you are going to be of a certain demographic writing policies or putting processes in place for women travelers disabled travelers black travelers do not do that without the input of people who are representative of those groups. I love that. Say it again so everyone gets it. 
never about us without us. That is great. That is really great. Um, 100%. And people talk about this all the time, don't they? We talk about this in standards worlds. And I'm beginning to come across it a little bit as we've sort of started working into it. Standards um, are often, they are written by experts, don't get me wrong, but they're not necessarily um, the people on the ground anymore experiencing what's going on, if that makes sense. They're generally Mm -hmm. people who are quite high within their careers or perhaps experts in a slightly different area of things. Um, And you kind of go back to it and say, who are we writing this for? And I always think that with travel policies, like it's generally written for the executives who, when I first got into travel, were mainly male and white. (laughs) So it was a very different specific demographic that you were writing for. And I also, one of my pet hates, if we're going to go there, is this split between exec travel and what, what, minion travel? Is that what we want to call it? Like, what, what are we saying there? That we're more important than you are and that we're allowed to do all of this? And I just, I get the differences, but there is another way of doing that. You don't have to single people out because it just, it just makes your employees feel less important. And that's, that's not what we're all trying to achieve, let alone putting a price tag on them to say, actually, that's your value. That's what you're allowed to spend. I, I, I have real beef with travel policies. Oh, I think that's another episode because, you know, we've worked with some clients whereby the exec are staying in safer hotels than the non-exec, you know. Exactly. No. Well, let's do that. Let's have another one. Um, and yeah, and I think what I will just end with that is that and I think we've, we've talked about this. Don't start with the policy. Start with the people. Find out what it is that you need. Policy comes at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's a completely different way. And, and people read the policy for like two minutes on their first day or in their first week. They're not they're not drilling. They're not reading it every week. So ever, 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 ever. I always kind of imagine this kind of library of old dusty policies that people blow off every 10 years or so. And it's just they're not fit for purpose. Right. And let's be honest, to travel, we've got T&E policies. Very few companies are working with working travel risk management policies that go through everything and put all the other policies together they're not they're not there yet um but that's what we're trying to achieve um carolyn is there anything else you would like to add before we say goodbye to our wonderful listeners no except to say that i'll be looking forward to joining you on the um 18th is it of um, 18th march yes 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 i know i'm really excited so let's just get that out there um you can meet carolyn when she joins talking to rm live on the 18th of March at Tom's alongside Bruce McIndoe um, and Sean Bolter. So Bruce McIndoe already a guest, Sean Bolter soon to be a guest on Talking to RM. Um, but yeah, I, I, I cannot wait for that chat. It's going to be wonderful. Um, thank you so, 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 so much um, for joining me today. I think, I think you've just given us another whole perspective, which is exactly what I try and achieve with these podcasts because travel risk management um, is huge and diverse and, um, and it's just important to have everybody's voice heard. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure for me too, Bex. Thank you. Uh, so you have been listening to Talking TRM, um, the podcast dedicated to travel risk management. My name is Travel Risk Bex. We've been speaking to Carolyn Pearson. We look forward to catching up with you in another couple of weeks' time. Thank you and stay safe. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. 
If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to a centrist management talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.